Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life and my first episode of season three. My guest today is Tabitha Cabrera. Tabitha lives in Arizona amongst mostly year-round sunshine and cactus. She works as an attorney and enjoys spending her time in a public service role. She shares her life with her husband, Nick, five-year-old son, Nixon, and two-year-old daughter, Nora. Both Nixon and Nora were diagnosed with autism in 2020. She had found a passion in advocacy and paired this passion with her brother, Mike Barnett, to publish two children's books, Do You Talk the Way I Talk and Me and My AAC. She also speaks about family, mothering, and their autism journey on Table for Five, No Reservations podcast. She believes that each day you have the opportunity to spread a message and extend a hand to those who are needing it the most. So please enjoy my conversation with Tabitha as we unpack her podcast, her books, and everything about raising Nixon and Nora. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is actually someone who's become a friend of mine. We've known each other now about a year um, from our Coops Troop blog squad stuff and all the things that we've been doing. Um, so Tabitha Carrera, thank you for being a guest today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm always so intrigued by all the moms I've met in the past year, two years, because all of our kids are at different ages different diagnosis stories. I think a lot of people probably think that we all go through the exact same thing around age three. We go to the neurologist and we notice the all the signs are the same and it's just a classic autism diagnosis, but it's definitely not the case. <laughs> Every journey is no. unique, even though they <laughs> yes. might sound similar. So you actually have two very small children, um, both diagnosed with autism, Nixon and Nora. So I would love for you to share the experience that you had with both of their diagnosis. Yeah. So Nixon is five, just turned five in the summer and our daughter is two and a half. Mm -hmm. And, um, with Nixon, we had early intervention. He had a language delay. That was pretty much the major sign where they were talking to us about getting an evaluation. Um, he did not have what they would call classic signs of autism. Um, so for him, it took a long time for us to get his diagnosis. We were on a wait list for a long time with a developmental pediatrician. It took us about a year mm -hmm. to get in and he was getting um, speech services and OT. And um, so we went to a developmental pediatrician to get his autism evaluation. And it was about three separate appointments, one with a developmental pediatrician, one with a psychologist who did the ADOS testing. And then um, our third was the actual meeting to discuss his evaluation. Mm -hmm. So for him, we had a long processing time. We kind of 
felt that maybe it was coming. Um, we knew nothing about what we were doing. I think we probably could have gotten his diagnosis sooner if we knew more. Um, and then with our daughter, so she had a pretty significant regression. She had all of her, she had all of her milestones on time, walking, talking. Um, she's advanced gross motor, so we didn't have those issues. And then around 18 months, she pretty much lost all of her language and went silent. So, mm. and I mean, no sounds, no nothing. Um, so that was a pretty big first sign for us with her. And her diagnosis came on swift. Um, so she was diagnosed right before her second birthday. So within four months of her losing her language. Um, and then now she has a lot more what they consider classic signs of autism than our son really ever did. I mean, now for sure, he, we know so much more and we can see things that we probably didn't see before. But with her, she has some stimming um hand flapping that she does when she's excited and spinning and she's very um sensory seeker so um sand you know slime all that kind of stuff yeah all the extremes <laughs> yes yes loves all that stuff um they both have uh differences as far as needs so our son is um has language now it he was nonverbal at the time of his diagnosis and he's developed language started with echolalia then went to scripting and now he has um language that he uses conversational language uh still a language delay but definitely within the past year it's just blown us away with his development of language so and our daughter is nonverbal uses PEC sign language and then just recently started using an AAC device for communication. So what did you find helpful for Nixon? Um, I know there are so many things we can choose from and we start earlier intervention and therapies for his communication. Did it, did something just click with him pretty quickly? Yeah. So we tried PECs with him. Mm -hmm. um, he was not receptive to it. And I think for him, it's because he's very literal and even if the picture showed a cup, if it wasn't the exact cup that we were trying to give to him, it didn't really translate the way mm -hmm. that PEX works. Um, and we didn't really press it either because our providers weren't talking to us about using it. So I think if we would have had more discussions, we probably would have used other things. For him, it was mainly just speech therapy, um, really working on his verbal language and um talking 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what we did um and I have a little bit of guilt I would say not that I could have helped it but a little bit of guilt because when he wasn't talking we weren't talking and yeah. his receptive language was kind of delayed so understanding what we were saying and we're just kind of quiet people in general I think mm -hmm. in our house um which has changed dramatically now where everybody's loud. But um, I think if we would have known more, we would have talked more, we would have done, used more tools. So with our daughter, we were kind of lucky in that sense that we had learned so much. By the time her diagnosis came around, we kind of pressed to start some of those things right away. Mm -hmm. Like whatever we can give her to talk and communicate with us, we're all about it. And she is advanced and above Nixon in her receptive language. So she understands language a lot sooner than he did. Um, 
So those, yeah. Well, and how did you, so with her being nonverbal, I mean, I know she's only two and a half, so there's, I mean, you're at the early stages of all of that anyway, but, um, how did you figure out that she does have such a strong receptive language? She's very good at nonverbal communication. So she can lead you to the cupboard. She wants to go to, if she wants a snack, if she doesn't want something, it's very clear. She's kind of like, we always say that she has a fierce spirit, you know, she's really good at telling you, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. And, um, you know, snugly, just her nonverbal communication was so great that we, once we started PEX and she realized that it was a tool to help her communicate, she picked it up like that. Her providers always say she goes from zero to about a hundred in like skills, you know, once it clicks, then she knows, oh, this works for me let's keep doing it. So that was kind of the cue for her. Um, and our son always had gross motor issues and still does. So with him, we were dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff, like self-care, putting on clothes, um, brushing teeth, you know, a lot more work on that side of things than we ever had with her. Mm -hmm. So kind of followed her lead with that Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and she's picking up the device just as fast as she did the, the PEC system. So it's really great to see that. It's probably so neat and interesting to see how both of your children, how, how they interpret language and receive language and use, like she sees those things as, oh, okay, perfect. It's not stopping her from talking or learning to talk. It's just, she, it's helping her get that out in a way you know, to do that with pictures or AAC or whatever. And with Nixon, it sounds like, you know, he's a little more reluctant to, to use those things or he yes. just wanted to talk. So that's great. And if she sees him talking, then I'm sure hopefully that'll yeah. entice her to start speaking again too. And she's picked up some words have come back. Like she uses open and up and um, mom and dad, she'll use sometimes we have a tendency to get a word and then lose a word um, okay. with her. So we don't hear it all the time. We'll hear it one or two times and then it kind of goes away and comes back. Um, and we do, we are watching because we see her try to speak so frequently that maybe there is something related to apraxia or you know a disconnect with her brain telling her mouth what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be kind of monitoring that in the future but it is it is fascinating because our son is a huge scripter what with tv shows watching and repeating and he still does he still uses that as um his language functional language for him so you kind of have to learn how to work with scripts Mm -hmm. um, to understand their communication so it's so different for the two of them for sure well, you're right. And scripting, I've, I don't have any experience with that with Skylar, but um, it's so fascinating when I hear those stories from so many parents that say that, you know, an episode of SpongeBob or an episode of something is what their kid repeats when they're sad or when they're happy or yeah. whatever. And um, it, it, their brains are just so evolved. I feel like even more, more than like mine to, yes. to know to use, to know what that feeling is and to say, well, I've seen it before in this cartoon or whatever, they were yeah. expressing what I'm trying to. So let me just act this out and they'll, they'll get it. And we have to really think differently as parents to put that together. I mean, I'm sure oh. it takes 
quite a bit of time yeah. to go, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. And if you have like a, a language delay, you also have to figure out what the words are and the context of the show. So if they're trying to communicate frustration or happiness, you also have to know where the show's coming from because they'll use it at a time when they're not watching the show. And then you have to be like, okay, where's this coming from? What does the scene look like? How do mm -hmm. we figure out what you're trying to say? So it is, it's really fascinating. Well, um, I'm assuming that you kind of watched Nora like a hawk since she was your second one. Did you ever get a feeling like, you know, as she was progressing so quickly through all her milestones at like 18 months or so, you're like, oh, I mean, she's talking, she's walking, she's whatever, we're in the clear, we're, we're good. Did you even anticipate that this could be a possibility for her too, a regression and all of that? We definitely put our guard down for sure. Um, yeah. At each milestone, I think we were like, okay, this is going great. She's doing great. Um, and she was always very engaged, even as a baby. She's just socially, was socially driven um, with us and others. Um, and I think we had, you know, the shutdown during that time too. So it was hard to gauge whether the changes in her were because we weren't out in public or out with others. Um, she didn't go to a daycare. She had like a nanny um, with one other child and then in our home. And so we were attributing some of that to not being out in public mm -hmm. and with others. Um, so we definitely, and her diagnosis actually, I think hit me and my husband a lot harder than our sons did because we had so much processing time for him um, with her. It was so fast and it was so surprising that it was, it, and we're still kind of processing it. You know, we're, um, she was diagnosed in December of 2020. And so it's still fresh for us, but we definitely put our guard down um, with her. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing everything that we, I mean, we get very little information at diagnosis, but hmm. to do everything early, even with Nixon, to just throw yourselves into every possible avenue to help them, like with his motor abilities, I'm sure you, you guys were doing OT or PT and yeah. things like that. And just, I mean, at that young of an age, it's so great to get started with the things and to see the progression that they both made in communication. Yeah, that's, that's huge. It's got to be somewhat, you know, satisfying for you guys that yeah. you've been able to kind of get yeah. some of that back with them. Yes, Nixon, for sure. I mean, I think every milestone he had, language was probably the most rewarding mm -hmm. um, for him and for us because we had waited so long for it. And so each word that he developed, um, you know, I wrote about the first time he said, I love you to me, mm -hmm. you know, the things like that, you just wait so long for um, things that happen faster for others that it just you get to celebrate in mm -hmm. a, in a larger way than, than when you're not waiting yeah. <laughs> for those things. Yeah. I yeah. feel like that's definitely one of the hardest parts of my journey is I've never heard my son's voice. I've never, mm -hmm. and he's never said mom, not even spelled it or typed it out or anything. So I'm still waiting, but it's going to come <laughs> whether yeah. he spells it or yeah. scripts it. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and that's one of the things that you learn too, is that mm -hmm. you just, um, you never know, right. Mm -hmm. You never know where it's going to go, where it's going to lead. And sometimes it's like a round circle of where you end up, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Well, you mentioned writing. So um, I, I'm an avid reader of your blog. Um, and right. I know you started that, um, you know, I think back in 2020, was yeah. that a place to just kind of share your experiences and, you know, just share some stories to help relate to other people? Yeah. So kind of two reasons. The first one was I've always been a writer um, in high school. I'm was, um, went to college for music. So I always wrote poetry and song lyrics and stuff to process feelings, uh, what was going on around me. Um, so I started mainly to process the feelings of diagnosis and get some things out on paper and to help my family kind of understand where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. And then the second reason was I found it so confusing and hard to find services and to navigate all the systems that you have to na navigate and there wasn't information out there. So the first couple things I wrote was one was like a, a breakdown of how to get services in Arizona with links to the forms and our uh, process of what we went through. And then um, writing about our experience with diagnosis. So those are, it was kind of why I started my blog. Um, and it helped me. I always joke that it was for selfish reasons. Yeah, I think <laughs> a process, lot of ours are. <laughs> yeah, to process my own feelings about mm -hmm. everything. And I was a little bit leery about putting things out into the public and opening our lives to other people. And, you know, with my profession, it's kind of a closed door. You keep things private mm -hmm. for different reasons. Um, so I was a little bit tentative about that at first. Mm -hmm. um, now it's kind of like, we're just doing the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Putting it out there. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but isn't it rewarding to, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty, I, I'm still a little limited on what I say. I try mm -hmm. to write mine in a way that um, explains the situation, but that it doesn't come back on Skylar in a yeah. derogatory or a weird way, or I, I try not to complain. I'm just trying to like, if we're overcoming a major obstacle with something, whether it's benefits at 18 and SSI and trying to go through all that, I try to mm. at least use it as an education tool so yeah. that when Skylar can come back and read it someday, he's not embarrassed or disappointed in me for spilling some, you know, family secrets or things like that. So, you know, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And, and for them too, like I, I'm cautious about mm -hmm. what I, what, how I write, what I write about. Um, most of it's from the landscape of my own feelings, because I think it's more appropriate for me to talk about how I'm dealing with things and how things feel to me. Like, I don't want to talk about their feelings. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just not my place to do that. I don't think well, I, yeah. it's not that I haven't, I mean, you know, just being cautious. It's from the parents. I mean, we're yeah. writing from our perspective. Right. So, I mean, yeah. to be fair, but it's, it's always nice to know that whenever I write something, even the pieces that I struggle with, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should put this out there. Yeah. There's always <laughs> at least one person that's like, I'm so glad you wrote this today because yeah. we are literally going through the same thing. And I thought I was by myself. So even yeah. if one family you know, can, can relate and say, oh my gosh, I never even thought to try what you said didn't work for you, but I might try it and yeah. whatever. I think that's yeah. the whole point of making our villages much, much larger <laughs> as yeah. far as writing about it. Yeah. So. Well, and my favorite, so I started writing and then I, I do interviews on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the 
best place I think to get resources is just talking to other parents. Mm -hmm. We've learned so much from all of you ladies who have older kids and, you know, just learning about things that might've taken you longer to understand or, you know, find a place for Mm -hmm. it's jumpstarted us I think because we don't we get the information from someone else (laughs) yeah I mean and I wish I had been in your place when Skylar was five you know there wasn't anybody talking about anything so um that's the whole point for me is just to try to you may not need to do some of the things I'm doing because your child isn't exactly like mine but yeah you know if if I can give you resources I'm happy to do that um you had mentioned you know interviews and stuff too so obviously you're so busy and you're <laughs> with your job yeah. and your blog, um, which is piece of autism, right? Yep. Yes. P E A C E piece, like yes. peace out. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, <like> um, <laughs> yeah. But you and um, some other incredible moms that I know and, and adore uh, started a podcast um, yes. table for five, no reservations. Um, how in the world did that come up? I've always wanted to ask you guys that. Because oh yeah. <laughs> I can barely coordinate you know, doing the interviews and myself by myself. So getting together, you know, five moms and all talking and whatever. It's a challenge. I'll tell you. (laughs) None of you guys are shy. Right. (laughs) We're in four different time zones and two countries. Oh Lord. So that in itself is just uh, crazy to navigate. Um, But what happened is we all became really close friends. And Mm -hmm. so we were talking all the time about our kids and about our lives and, we range from two and a half to 25. Mm-hmm. So um, it's Jen done with Keeping Up with Kaya, Jamie Ramos from Jamie Ramos Writes, um, Rachel Flanagan from Flanaville, and Kim yeah. McIsaac mm-hmm. from Autism Adventures with Alyssa. And so we had boys and girls on the spectrum. We had ages from new to grownups. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were just chatting all the time. And so we're like, maybe we should just put this out on the internet and yeah. see how it goes, you know? Um, and all of us come from a place of wanting to provide resources to others and help, um, parents not feel alone. And there's so much comedy and tears, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do both. We do a lot of laughing and we do a lot of, uh, crying too. <laughs> um, so we kind of just, went for it mm-hmm. and it's been going great. I mean, we've yeah. had great responses from it. We've covered a lot of different topics, um, interviewed some people um, on topics that we aren't familiar with, like homeschooling and mm-hmm. um, puberty. We did an episode on puberty, which was great. Um, but we just were chatting all the time. And so, yeah, yeah. So do you guys just, do you just come up with a topic and then you all weigh in on your personal experience with that and just, yeah, it's kind of a round table. You guys just talk. We do a round table. Mm -hmm. We do, um, sometimes we did a storytellers episode, which I loved, which we each wrote a piece. Um, and then we read it as like a a story or a blog post Mm -hmm. would go. And, um, we were all sobbing recording. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we do it a lot of different ways. So we try and, um, do kind of like just chatting discussions. Our fifth episode is always no reservations. And so that's like kind of just free flying, talking about the week, uh, checking in with each other. And then we usually do a series of five. And so we do one topic, like an umbrella topic, and then, um, subtopics underneath that so right right now this we're doing um this is how we do it and it's a 
our first one was like a potty training episode. So talking about potty training, I know the worst, right? (laughs) Talking about how we did it or didn't do it. I still need (laughs) to listen to that because we're not even there yet. (laughs) What was good, what wasn't good, how long it took, you know, all of that stuff. And I think people wonder about those things all the time. And since we have such a broad range of ages and experiences, um, it, there's all kinds of tricks and tips Mm -hmm. that go into that. So it's really fun. Especially with girls and boys. Yeah. I mean, my daughter, she's neurotypical, but I mean, even potty training her was different than other people have used. I mean, she caught onto it like so quickly. So I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll be able to do the same with Skylar. But the challenge with him is he doesn't like anything. There's not a single thing I can reward that kid with. Parents have said, does he like pushing buttons? I'm like, well, yeah, their child like was willing to be trained by, um, pushing the garage door open and closed. Like that was a reward if they used oh, the toilet. And I'm great. just like, <laughs> Skylar looks at me and like, I don't care. Like, I mean, yeah. he just is so stubborn. He could care less. I could take all of his favorite Alma movies away and he'd be like, fine, I won't watch them then. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <Don't care. laughs> yeah. That's what Kim said about her daughter too, that oh. there wasn't really a, a bribery situation where you could do like the reward system. Um, it is, it's just challenging with those things. Potty training is the worst. It is. is. I mean, I would much rather focus on communication. I've said that before. Like I could care less if he's 40 and he's still, you know, using the pens or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. That is not a priority of mine. Yes. Well, we learned that too. Like we pick and choose what we're going to fight about, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or try and work hard towards or whatever. And you only have so much capacity for that so you have to Mm -hmm. pick pick and choose where you're going yes well with all your spare time when you're not podcasting and blogging and working (laughs) as an attorney you decided to write a couple children's books um the one that we actually partnered together and gave away um on all of our pages which was so fun we need to do that again um do you talk the way i talk um that's such a great book and i have that and then um a recent more recent one that you published was me and my aac so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about each of those and kind of the thought behind them and, yeah. and who they're targeting. So my brother is the illustrator. He's an animator by profession. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And so um, he was finishing up a project or getting towards the end of a project during the shutdown pandemic. And I was chatting with him about this idea and he kind of jumped on board with me Um mainly the first book we wrote for my son Mm -hmm. um, because our daughter wasn't really in that space yet when we published it but um, so he could have a character like him in a book uh, that had a language delay and then we added in the other characters for other people's kids so AAC user PEC system um, and a, a little character that scripts has language but uses scripting So the goal was just to provide him a place to see someone like him in a book. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the first one. And then the second one, we didn't know that our daughter would end up being an AAC user, but we're kind of doing a series. And so the first book was Ben, our AAC user, to describe AAC devices, to show a character that uses one in a book as the main character, um, explain how they develop using one and 
we have a third book coming. It'll probably be released this month called um, What's the Commotion with My Emotions, which Aww. will be, yeah, more of a self-regulation, talking about feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be with our girl, our first girl character as the main um, character of a book. So it's just really, I love doing that with my brother. I mean, he's fantastic. His, illustrations are amazing I'm always like talking him up although he doesn't really take that in (laughs) but he he's really uh brilliant at what he does and so the two of us together just kind of worked out um Mm -hmm. but the main goal was just to have books that kids you know when you're a kid you just want to read something that you can relate to Mm -hmm. and um I wanted that for my son so so I just started it I love that. That's a cool, that's such a cool project for you and your sibling to do. And I assume, does he live in Arizona also? He's in California. Oh, he's in California. What is his relationship like with your kids? I mean, growing up, I mean, seeing them raised pretty much with their diagnosis at this early age, he he could probably add so much more to being an illustrator than if you just contacted an illustrator that isn't, doesn't have the family connection, I guess is where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, he's learned so much about Mm -hmm. autism, which I mean, I appreciate and he's still learning and he's educating himself. I don't, I do some of, you know, he'll ask me questions about it, but he does a lot of research on his own for the images and making it, making sure that it's, um, quality to our kids experience, Mm -hmm. which I, just love so much um he was just here for a week because we did a event in phoenix and my son adores him oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah so i mean was, he wrote a book about him so yeah <laughs> that's some perks <laughs> yeah Nora's a little bit uh <laughs> question mark still on her mm-hmm. um but the one thing i always talk about my family is like i come from a family of unique beings and so there's a lot of um, free spirits and beat to your own, walk to your own path, beat, mm-hmm. whatever that saying is, mm-hmm. find your own beat. <laughs> um, so I'm lucky in that regard because they're very accepting of my kids finding their own way mm-hmm. and making their own path. So it's, uh, I appreciate it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's good to have support. Uh, yeah. you know, any way you can get it. And yeah. especially parents who try to understand, I would never assume that my parents or any, anybody's parents get it because they just, they just don't come from the generation where autism was a thing. And they never called it that. Even if we had kids in school with us that were on the spectrum or, you know, yeah. had some developmental delays or something. So this is a new road for them too. And I think a lot of times we forget about the older caregivers Uh, you know, all of our parents and things like that. And grandparents of our kids trying to figure out how to interact with our kids when they don't speak or they, you know, they don't play traditionally with toys and games and things. I remember my mom saying once, like, I just don't know. I don't, I don't think she meant anything by it. I took offense a little bit at first, but I'm just, (laughs) she's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with them. I don't, I don't, how do I interact with them? If I babysit them, I'm like, figure it out. Yes. <laughs> Did you raise me? Try like, something. <laughs> yeah. What are they but, like? <laughs> but I know what she meant. I think she yes. just was afraid of doing something wrong and, yeah. you know, yes. harming him in some way, which she can't, but, um, yes. yeah. And 
I, for us, we live in Arizona. We don't have any family that lives mm-hmm. here in the state. And I so that has been challenging, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, really, really hard and trying to communicate without observation, um, like how it is, it's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, they are all supportive from afar. And when that, when we are together, they're very supportive. Um, but we definitely have had that kind of isolation piece mm-hmm. being here. So working with him has been nice because we have so much communication about the books and he's just trying to understand um, our kids, not only for the books, but just to understand them. So Mm -hmm. it's been great. Yeah. A a great way to explain it to someone, I think. For sure. And so what is the age range generally that you, I mean, obviously parents to read these books to their kids, little kids, and then it's like school age. Is there a certain age where you would recommend these for? We pretty much say two to 12. Okay. Um, so pre, pre-teen, unless you're trying to teach a teenager about um, autism, you mm-hmm. know, in some way, but really early readers, mm-hmm. two to 12. Yeah. Do um, you, um, is Nixon in kindergarten yet? And will he go to traditional school or, or have you guys navigated that path yet? Ugh, we had a, <laughs> we had, we did a, his met evaluation, which is the, you know, three year you have to do every three years mm-hmm. to see if they qualify for special, special education. So we did that this year to see if we were going to put him in kindergarten or not. He was in developmental preschool, um, but then it went virtual and it was mm-hmm. terrible for him. Uh-huh. I mean, just devastating for him. So we did the met, he just turned five over the summer. And so we're like, we're still kind of on the cusp. He's a little bit early. Um, and then we went through the evaluation process and recommendations and we were on the fence. And so we decided to wait one more year before Mm -hmm. we do kindergarten with him. Um, just because a lot of reasons, but Mm -hmm. the process was so incredibly hard. Um, it's just challenging to do those evaluations just emotionally for us, for him. Um, and I just think he needs a little bit more time, um, just to develop some Mm -hmm. more skills, you Mm -hmm. know, um, I don't think there's a rush for him to be in kindergarten. So we, we did try and see what it would be, what their recommendations would be. And they did recommend to put him in, um, like a self-contained classroom, it would be a smaller ratio, um, which I think would be a good program for him. So I don't know what we'll do. Arizona is kind of nice because you get to choose, like they have charter schools and private schools and, um, public and you're funding those to whichever you choose. That is nice. Yeah. So we could look at some specific, um, programs for Mm -hmm. him and, I think we just needed more time to kind of weigh those options before we made a decision for him. Yeah. I mean, you guys know best, especially, you know, being around him and sometimes that, that one extra year of maturity and Mm -hmm. allowing him to build his confidence with, you know, his communication or whatever it is and, or his motor skills, motor planning, all of that, he'll walk in to kindergarten as a, such a different kid than he would have a year sooner. So I don't know. I was just wondering because I would think that your books, um, even if he's using AAC at the time or not, if he has a little bit of learning different differences than his mm-hmm. peers and he's in a traditional classroom, I would just love to see books like yours 
integrated at the beginning of the school year. Like oh, it, me too. the teacher read yeah. it to all the kids just yeah. because at that age, I, I, they just don't see that stuff. They wouldn't mm-hmm. look at Nixon and go, why is he not talking? Kids are fun and they play and they like, don't care yeah. if you make it not a big deal. Like, yeah, he, he, um, you know, takes a little bit longer to say some words or something, or he uses this to help him or whatever it is. They're like, okay, cool. And some right. of them want it, you know, they're like, <laughs> yeah. I want one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. I agree. I mean, I think there needs to be more education in a way that children can understand. Mm -hmm. Like we can't expect kids to understand our kids if they aren't provided any information about Mm -hmm. it. And he might, I mean, by the time we get to next year, he might be able to be in a, a, um, you know, regular classroom. Mm -hmm. We just don't know. But for him, it's nice because then he doesn't have to try and do the explaining in -hmm. whatever way that he can or you know, for his sister, if she ends up continuing to need to use her device and all of that stuff, if they already have a baseline of knowledge about autism, which Mm is, you know, more and more prevalent, more and more diagnoses being had by kids, um, you know, I think it just lays a perfect foundation for them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know many kids now in elementary school that don't have somebody on the spectrum in their class. Mm-hmm. We, obviously it's a varying degrees of need, but mm-hmm. I mean, with the prevalence rates that there are, I, I would be shocked if the kids today don't know someone on the spectrum mm-hmm. that they've been in class with or that their family members with or whatever. It's, it's just not this taboo thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, um, I think when my daughter was in elementary school or maybe even when Skylar was in um, tra- traditional elementary school when he was younger, there was um, a parent with a child with juvenile diabetes mm-hmm. and they came in and demonstrated um, her insulin and they explained why her body needs it in kid terms so that the kids wouldn't be afraid of her maybe having, um, you know, a situation where her sugars were out of whack and she, you know, was her ketones were messed up and she was kind of acting erratic or whatever, and why she needed an emergency orange juice or whatever. The kids were so much, they asked questions, they were curious and, you know, it just anything like that. I feel like with autism should be included. I don't see why it's that big of a deal. And I really think that it would make the teacher's job a lot easier mm-hmm. if they address it at the beginning of the year. Occasionally, you know, Skylar might make some sounds, but it's just how his body is just processing and he can't really control it. I mean, there are a lot of kids with Tourette's even now diagnosed yeah. with Tourette's. And I, I just feel so strongly about addressing that stuff so early in their life and with the teachers at the early part of the school year, that it just will make <laughs> such a better year for everybody. Yeah. And if you do it, in a way that empowers them Mm -hmm. to be part of the conversation if they can, or if they want to, Mm -hmm. then it makes them feel okay about being, having differences Mm -hmm. and having, you know, let them be part of the conversation about who they are instead of people making judgments without information, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) well, it just travels them through high school. A lot of these school systems, you're with the same kids pretty much throughout the entire years. So I just remember talking to Temple Grandin and she, you know, said the same thing. It was portrayed in the movie too. Just 
under, you know, the younger years were fine for her, but high school was a nightmare. Kids were so cruel to her. Mm. And, you know, if they would have had some better education on how intelligent and brilliant she is, but why she was a little odd socially, I mean, it wouldn't have been such a horrible experience, I would hope, but anyway. always say too like my two kids are so polar opposites mm-hmm. like my son is just tender-hearted and he seeks approval from others and takes in information in- introspectively mm-hmm. and my daughter is kind of like okay you do you whatever <laughs> you know like she's like good day to you I I don't like they just have different um ways of dealing with others and Mm -hmm. I worry more about him and his perception of himself based on what others have to say and maybe that'll change for her it could be just her toddlering around with that attitude but I don't think so I think it's part of sounds like she's your little mini me (laughs) she's just like she beats her own drum (laughs) fine (laughs) I don't care what you say about me there's nothing wrong with me what's wrong with you (laughs) exactly (laughs) what do each of them love to do? What makes each of them so extremely happy and excited and smiling? And oh my gosh, my son is a dinosaur lover. Love, love, loves dinosaurs. It's just everything dinosaur. We have probably 47 T-Rexes in this house. (laughs) Loves dinosaurs. They both um, are water babies, hands down fanatics for water, any type of water. Um, and our daughter loves sensory stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which lends to them both being nature babies. They love being outdoors, touching dirt, That's playing cool. in leaves. Yeah. Anytime you can get them outside, they're both just happy plants. Fascination with all of that. Recently, we noticed our daughter has gotten into um, examining bugs. So <laughs> like moths and butterflies and gross things. (laughs) She's very fascinated. Ants, all of it. So we'll see how that progresses. But um nervous doing your laundry. You're gonna find stuff in her pockets that she don't want to find. I know she is fascinated by nature, like sand and rocks. She likes to collect different shapes of rocks and carry them around and she picks out like she'll leave one and pick out another one. Mm -hmm. Um and they're both just pretty like mellow kids most of the time depending on my daughter's kind of hot and cold but um they both are like can go with the flow depending mm-hmm. on the situation uh so well it's nice kids. that they like the same thing like they can go mm-hmm. outside and play together and they're interested mm-hmm. in the same thing it'd be hard if they're you know complete polar opposites when it comes to what they find fun because then you yeah. have to entertain one and then figure out something else to do with the other one. So that's cool. And we do say like going out into public is hard because they have different sensory needs. So Mm -hmm. my daughter has issues with sound and um, unfamiliar places. And our son gets overstimulated with too much action and people and um, stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. we have to navigate that a bit with going out into public with them um so we've learned you know if it's a body of water we're usually in the clear (laughs) because they're both happy no matter what's going on around them regulates their system (laughs) it makes sense then that they both are nature lovers because it's quiet and it's peaceful and it's you know not Mm -hmm. overstimulating so that's nice um 
Wow. It's just, it's so cool that they seem like they play together so well already. And they're like typical siblings and heck, maybe they can relate so much better to each other than, you know, my kids, one neurodiverse, one neurotypical. It's really challenging their whole lives to really try to figure each other out. Um, so maybe that's the benefit. (laughs) Yeah. We do feel lucky in that way. I watched an interview one time and I don't know who it was. I can't remember, but, um, she had three children who were diagnosed um, Mm. with autism. And she was like, you know, the lucky thing is that I only have to learn how to parent one way. And so like, you don't have to try and, although our kids are different, um, my kids are just starting to engage with each other. Sometimes generally they move around each other, um, and play around each other. Uh, Nixon loves to have his sister around. He wants her to be in his presence. Mm. Um, but they're kind of parallel players, you know, um, just starting to navigate around each other. So we'll see how that progresses over time. Wait till the teen years and then yes. we'll talk about it. Oh my God. <laughs> I am terrified of that stage. With, oh my God. Cause they're not that far apart in age. They probably right. will. Scott, I feel like Skylar's puberty, although it came normal, I feel like he's still in it. Even at 18, yeah. like, you know, we're yeah. seeing a little bit of more just kind of irritation at times when I thought he was through all of that. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know what else to chalk it up to besides puberty or whatever, right. but <laughs> having two at the same time is a little, oh. a little bit of a challenge because they're not excited. Totally different. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid we have an easy ride with that, but hopefully, hopefully you not. will. <laughs> yeah, most likely not. <laughs> well, if you're as chill as you are when they're young, it, I feel like it's our behavior and how we, yeah. um, you know, just kind of express our, disdain for some of their puberty things if we're a little more chill I, I don't feel like they're as bad maybe that's just me but oh, if we don't well, react I don't for me keep your cool lady just part <laughs> of it keep your cool <laughs> I mean with all the stuff we go through with autism at least us with behaviors and stuff that is nothing like I'm like that's yeah. it that's that's the worst okay. of it oh god okay <laughs> I <Yeah>. got it <laughs> this yeah. is easy well um you know just kind of in wrapping up clearly when we get diagnosed, our, our children are diagnosed. There's no manuals. There's really mm-hmm. not much assistance. It's just like, okay, your child's on the spectrum at whatever level they are. And then good luck to you or whatever. So being that you just kind of came out of this recently with official diagnosis for both of them, can you share maybe one or two of the most impactful things you've learned, you know, thus far on your journey that can help someone else that's kind of in the same stage as you? Yeah. So I think um, the first thing I would say that I learned over time is to try and meet my kids where they are. Mm -hmm. And so not trying to force them into learning something or being something that they aren't. That has really, really helped me with my own frustration with situations and you know, practicing skills with them takes a lot of energy and it can be exhausting. Um, but trying to remember that it's out of their control and this is the way that they function has really helped me to keep my own frustrations down at times. I mean, of course, I am worn out and burnt out <laughs> like anyone else. Um, the other thing I would say is reading or reaching out to people who've been there before you. Mm-hmm. Because the most valuable resource is other parents, mm-hmm. hands down, providers, educators, um, you know, p- 
people in these systems that are telling you how to parent your kids, they don't have the lived experience that other parents do. And Mm -hmm. that's been the most helpful to me for sure. And then also learning from adults who are on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. even though there's slightly a divide in our community with parents and adults, um, you can learn a lot, even just by reading, you don't necessarily have to engage, but there's a lot of language. There's a lot of preferences for language. There's a lot of things that you can learn of someone who's actually experienced the things that our kids experience. Cause I mm-hmm. can never feel that or, or know how it feels to be in their shoes. Mm-hmm. So reading and learning from them is important for sure yeah. too. Most I helpful. Agree. I agree so much. And, you know, kind of what we talked about in the beginning about, Nora and her milestones and all of that stuff. I think one of the things I heard along the way um, that was so helpful had I known at the time, because Skylar was my first kind of, you know, like Nixon yeah. for you. And yeah. I, the, the best thing I could have ever done is grab all of those books, even when my daughter was little and throw them away yes. because the milestones <laughs> are what they are. Yes. Neurotypical or neurodiverse. They're going to do what they do when they do it has nothing. I don't know who ever decided that between the months of this and that they should be rolling over in between. Yeah, that's typical, but not everybody's that way. I mean, Skylar might not have been diagnosed with autism, but he had significant developmental delay. So he needed PT and OT and all that stuff from the beginning and didn't walk till he was almost three. That had nothing to do with his autism. That was just his body, his muscles, his hypotonia, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So had I looked at all of that, I mean, it made me so frustrated all the time. Yes. Yes. And it makes you feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. Like you are doing something wrong or you're not parenting correctly Mm -hmm. or you're not putting in the effort. Um, and it's confusing, super Mm -hmm. confusing. And I think providers, a lot of times we're focused in on the negatives of our kids so much when we're dealing with forms and getting services and all of this stuff, it can be depressing and Mm -hmm. it, it can make you feel, um, you know, overwhelmed with the experience. So, we've had a few providers that have asked us how we're doing, which I think is important. That's rare. (laughs) Yeah. Very rare. Right. Which Mm -hmm. should be part of the conversation. Like, how are you processing this? How are you doing? Because you're the one who's parenting your kids. So we need, we need to check in and make sure you're doing okay. Just as much as as your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think learning that what they're saying about your children, isn't all that they are. And I think there's a, there's a place where this could be a change for all parents in general, that it should be included. Not only are you looking at the things that they aren't doing, but you're also having a voice of all the wonderful things that they are doing or what Mm -hmm. they're advanced at or what they're interested in, you know, the changes that you're seeing that are also good, I think would help parents to not feel so devastated by this experience, Mm -hmm. you know? and defeated. I think you're right. When you're filling out, it's like, you have to think of it with two different parts of your brain. So on the one hand in filling out all of these stupid insurance appeals for services and all of the stuff that you have to do to fill out for the IEPs and to make sure they get all the services that they need, you have to be as dramatic and as negative as possible with like, they can't do this. They can't do that. Mm -hmm. But in your life, you don't want to ever say, to your child, in front of your child, about your child, they can't do this, they can't, you know, do this. 
but it's, it's so hard to turn that off because after you write all that stuff, like you said, you're so defeated. Like, yeah, wow. I just made a list of all the things my five-year-old cannot do and isn't doing and all of that. But then on the other side, I'm putting on my positive hat and like, okay, let's, you know, let's try pecs for the 15th time. Let's try, you know, we can do this, you know, or whatever. It's really hard to compartmentalize all of that stuff, but you really have to, to get them what they need and to then help them develop. You have to be parent extraordinary. Both places. Yeah. The advocacy, I've said this so many times because I do so much advocating in my job and Mm -hmm. it's something that comes is part of my skill set. But when it comes to my kids, I just like freak out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm like, why are you making this so challenging for me? Mm -hmm. This is what they need. You know, like it's the emotions of it all are come swift and it's surprising sometimes the way you're feeling about things. And sometimes you can't pinpoint why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And mm-hmm. I think that's normal in parenting yeah. in general. So we just have a lot more people in our lives telling us how we should be doing it than others would. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be hard on the emotions for yeah. sure. Well, and to your other point really quickly too, I, I couldn't agree more about branching out, not only talking to other parents, there's so many exceptional groups out there mm-hmm. now, parenting groups that you can reach out to and join and, you know, find people who have the exact same age child as you, same gender as you, all of that stuff um, to relate to. But just even in the more recent years, I've talked to some autistic adults. And for me, because of our situation with Skylar being nonverbal and being a young adult now, I yeah. have met the coolest um, adults on the spectrum who are nonverbal, but they type. And since we're into spelling right now and all of that stuff, they have been the most valuable, incredible resource for me because they're telling me, okay, listen, he doesn't mean to hit you. This is what more than likely, this is what's going on with him. Even Danielle, um, Linda, daughter. I I mean, I'm like, I love Danielle's YouTube channel because she is a typer and she's nonverbal mostly. And so she tells me all the time, like, okay, (laughs) just keep telling Skylar, like her last video, it's not your fault. None of this is your fault. I understand, you know, you're struggling inside of your body and all of that. That has meant more to me than anything another parent could tell me because they don't live it. But these people that are living it every single day and they haven't talked since they ever either. And they're 19 and 20 and 25 and all of that. So it gives me hope that he'll be able to then one day tell me, okay, here's where you screwed up, mom. (laughs) Yeah. stuff you got wrong <laughs> yes but then I can teach someone else uh, we or need to go back. Teach someone else I know yeah. <laughs> yeah well that's the thing is like for me meeting adults no matter where they land because mm-hmm. our kids are so young I don't know what this is going to look like for either one of them it just helps me traject myself into the future to say look at all these amazing things that can be you know, mm-hmm. you never know where you're going to land and what is going to happen. And, you know, putting your effort into today in order to think about their future is just so good and important, mm-hmm. I think, for your mental health. <laughs> you it know? is. It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I just love everything that you're doing. And again, you younger moms with younger kids motivate the heck out of me to get oh. to keep going because, you know, I just think it's so important that you guys are willing to share your lives through blogs, through podcasts, through all of those things. 
because it was just so needed so long ago. And I can't imagine that people are as isolated and, you know, just uninformed as they were when I was raising kids, your kids age. So thank you for all of that. Yeah. We look to you guys who went through this experience without the resources. I can't imagine I would be, I really can't. So, you know, the, the trailblazers in front of us. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> so we you saved for you guys <laughs> from yes, a lot of mistakes that we made for that. Yeah. <laughs> and are still making, but we're figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness, Tabitha. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah, your children are you. beautiful. And I will link up all of your, um, your, your blog, your, um, links to Amazon, right. They can get your book yeah. on Amazon books. Yep on Amazon. Okay, perfect. I will link all that up in the show notes so people can reach out to you and um, maybe be a guest on your podcast too. Yeah, come on over. (laughs) All right, we'll take care. Thank you. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.